Welcome to Stocks to Watch. I'm Ashley Berry, and today, Global One Media is welcoming a very special guest, Richard Carlton, Chief Executive Officer of the Canadian Securities Exchange, or CSE. The CSE has been in operation for 20 years now and offers investors access to a broad selection of growth companies through a liquid, reliable, and regulated trading platform dedicated to entrepreneurship and a leading hub for discourse in the entrepreneurial community. Richard, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us today. Thank you, Ashley. It's uh, it's my pleasure. Sure. So I'd like to start with perhaps what insights you can provide on recent capital flows, particularly in light of the central bank's peak monetary tightening. Yeah, I think you've actually pointed out the key measure governing behavior, particularly from retail investors. And that's uh, a a segment of the market that uh, uh, the Canadian Securities Exchange and uh, and marketplaces that serve uh, retail investors in particular are highly dependent on. And uh, we've noted with the increase in the overnight rate, both in Canada, the United States, and internationally, that participation rates have gone down uh, quite dramatically from the highs that we saw in uh, January of 2021 uh, during the pandemic, mm. uh, when stock markets around the world were seeing record levels of turnover. We've uh, regressed to pre-pandemic levels uh, quite significantly uh, over the last uh, several months since the central banks began their uh, increased policy. So as we look ahead, we're about a month out from 2024. How might markets react to these changes specifically? Well, I think we're going to see uh, significant decreases in the overnight rate from policymakers in Washington and Ottawa. And we see uh, uh, a significant increase in retail participation as well. Now, the key theme governing the markets, uh, particularly in Canada and Australia, another marketplace that that uh, does a lot of work with uh, pre-revenue companies, is in the mining space. And so we are seeing a tremendous amount of smart money, which is backing companies that are looking for the so-called critical or strategic minerals. So zinc, copper, nickel, cobalt graphite, lithium, the rare earths. We have a long history of supporting the gold and silver and other precious metals exploration uh, marketplace. But over the last couple of years, uh, the vast majority of the new companies coming into the market uh, represent folks that are attempting to address supply chain issues that we believe we're going to be seeing in the coming years as the economy electrifies further. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. You know, thinking about even here in the United States with the protections, the executive orders on the, the critical precious metals, all of that, very, very important. Um, let's maybe shift over to the IPOs. Have we seen an increase or decrease in them this year compared to last and, and perhaps what factors might be influencing that trend? Well, we're a little bit off of last year's uh, record numbers. We had 122 new companies join the CSC in 2022. And uh, we'll be around 100 uh, companies this year. And uh, again, I think part of the uh, reason for that, uh, I, I would say slowdown, but I mean, we're still, this is the second or third best year that we've ever had. Um, but uh, again, we are seeing smaller companies and generally speaking, mining exploration companies for, as I mentioned, the so-called strategic minerals that are getting funded and are coming into the marketplace. Um, and uh, again, maybe a little bit less participation from life sciences, technology, cannabis, and other areas that uh, we've been uh, known for uh, mm. over the last uh, five to 10 years. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, obviously we speak with a lot of cannabis companies, um, you know, considering the current economic indicators, what stage of the business cycle would you say are we in? And what are the expectations for transitioning into a new phase? You've been around for a while. Uh, you have a lot of insight. So we'd love to hear a little bit more about this. Well, I'm not so sure about you know the business cycles and so on. Uh, my my sense is, and as an economic historian uh, and a bit of a, a history nerd, uh, <laughs> is that uh, we we have very powerful deflationary pressures in the economy, and that's largely driven by investments in technology. And so we saw dramatic decreases in the cost of manufacturing, where we've been able to onshore a lot of activities that were sent abroad, say in the 70s and 80s and are now back in Canada, the United States, whether it's auto parts manufacturing and a number of other uh, industrial applications. Um, I think generative AI is going Mm -hmm. to have a profound impact on the delivery of services. And again, is that going to mean, you know, more jobs or or I'm I'm afraid there'll be a lot of jobs that will be lost, but there'll be a lot of jobs, new jobs created. But overall, as I say, the um, impact, I believe, on the overall economic uh, situation is deflationary. And so I see um, uh, that the policymakers are, uh, even though they're talking about longer, higher for longer and, and things like that, I don't buy into that thesis at all. I think uh, interest rates uh, may not go back to zero anytime soon. But as I say, going into the election cycle in the United States, uh, we're probably on a similar trajectory in Canada. I just don't see a high interest rate policy um, uh, continuing for very much longer. Really interesting that you mentioned the generative AI. I mean, it's like the biggest hot topic. So, you know, where do you see us going forward with that? I mean, do you think it's really going to have a strong impact on pretty much everything we do, especially with the markets? Well, it already is. I mean, again, I'm a lawyer by profession and I see uh, all sorts of uh, due diligence activities, for example, in corporate securities practice. Uh, which are being done by uh, you know knowledgeable robots, uh, <laughs> and and not by teams of uh, young lawyers. Uh, that uh, was uh, the case maybe 15, 20 years ago, and that has a significant impact on costs. Uh, it has um, and 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 the way that uh, you deliver service, and and really ultimately what it winds up in is focusing on where your real value add is, as any kind of service provider, and that goes for accountants, financial professionals, lawyers. And other folks. And uh, as I say, I, I see um, the opportunity to take significant cost and effort, human cost and effort, out of the equation and significantly uh, increase the level of service without commensurate increase in cost. Mm. Mm. So perhaps you could share some compelling issuer stories and key insights for investors. Well, as you know, um, as, as the exchange CEO, I, I have to love all of my children equally. Um, so <laughs> I, I'm always reluctant to single out uh, a particular story. But what I will say is this. Um, when we talk to, in particular, our folks in the mining space, um, they, as I mentioned, have been coming into the market in, in vast numbers, scores of companies that are backed by, as I say, very, very sophisticated investors who understand the mining exploration and mining development game extremely well. And uh, they uh, uh, back these companies, but they've come into the market at a difficult time. And so they're not getting, not seeing a lot of secondary market liquidity or price appreciation Mm -hmm. as these companies report positive results. Because the state of art, state of the art is 
way better now than it used to be as a result of applications of uh, various uh, technical uh, capabilities and supercomputing and analytics and so on. And uh, the risks inherent uh, in mining exploration really aren't what they were a generation ago. So what I would say to retail investors is, um, and again, many of your uh, viewers may not be experienced at all in the mining exploration space, um, but there is a generational wealth opportunity here mm. because we know one thing for sure. We're going to be using a lot more copper, a lot more nickel, a lot more graphite, a lot more lithium in pretty short order, three to five to eight years. As we build out these battery plants, as we increase the production of electric vehicles, uh, as more and more uh, uh, truck transportation moves to uh, uh, electric vehicles and so on. And that copper has got to come from somewhere. And we have not been opening new copper mines, new nickel mines now for a while. And so, as I say, there will be a significant impact on the price of these commodities, I think, as uh, we begin to uh, draw down the existing supply chain. Mm, and of very, course, people, yeah. and, and, and people are also looking, of course, for projects that are located in Canada and the United States and yeah. Australia, the so-called nearshoring or friend shoring, uh, politically reliable jurisdictions uh, that, uh, um, uh, that, that uh, reduce the risk associated uh, with, uh, with having, um, you know, your supply chain tied up uh, with, these, uh, with these different jurisdictions. So, as I say, I think uh, investors should take a close look at a number of these companies because I think they're going to do really well and they are deeply underappreciated in the public markets as we speak. Hmm. So I want to get into this. You know, it's you know, we've heard uh, concerns from several CEOs about the impact of naked short selling on market value. So perhaps maybe you could shed some light on this issue in the actions taken by the Canadian Securities Exchange. So as the, the, the regulation of short selling is actually done by the independent market regulator, and they carry on those activities uh, on behalf of all of the exchanges uh, operating in Canada. So for us to unilaterally do one thing or the other uh, in, in our rule set, for example, uh, so for example, we couldn't uh, choose to reinstitute the down tick test. There, I gave you some inside baseball just for a second, but uh, the... Uh, uh, the reality is that uh, we can't act independently. Now, we are aware, of course, of the concerns of really the key users of their service. There, as you say, there are a significant number of folks in the industry that believe that there is a mm -hmm. problem associated with short selling uh, in the junior capital markets in particular. So we have been working with the market regulator and our peers at the other exchanges to help to try and uh, provide the regulator with better tools to identify when uh, abusive short selling is taking place. And we think we've come up with some pretty good uh, uh, indicators. And again, I, I'm reluctant to get into the uh, deep sure. inside baseball again, but uh, we're seeing instances of, uh, for example, uh, delayed delivery in the clearing and settlement system. So if somebody shorts a stock, of course, they have to deliver the stock uh, against that sale. Uh, you know, on T plus two, according to the normal uh, conventions of the securities industry in Canada, the United States. Um, what we are seeing is that uh, for a lot of especially large volume trades in junior companies, that delivery is actually happening significantly later, in some cases, weeks or months after the original short sale is declared. 
Now, they can do that with the agreement of the counterparty, the party that's expecting to receive the stock. Now, in the United States, under those circumstances, if the stock doesn't show up on T plus two, there's a mandatory so-called buy-in. And that's where the clearinghouse basically says to the rest of the marketplace, this guy didn't show up with the stock they were supposed to. They're going to have to basically pay a premium to cover that short, to acquire the stock in the open market, uh, or actually from, from uh, uh, market participants or other market participants. And uh, as a result, um, there's the feeling is, the belief is that there is uh, less uh, opportunity for uh, profitable uh, naked short selling in the United States than in Canada. As I say, in Canada, the buy-in is optional. So we're working with the regulators to change that and to okay. look at how we basically make it more expensive, more punitive, in effect, uh, for people that more risky, uh, for people that are conducting short sales, particularly, as I say, in the junior capital space. The other concern we have in Canada is the markets aren't as transparent for many investors um, so that we do not have a single place where you can go to get all of the trades and quotes. Instead, we have uh, 13 different marketplaces that are competing for trading activity. And uh, you have to, in fact, negotiate with each one of the individual marketplaces to see all of that trading activity. So if I'm an, uh, a CEO of a company um, and that trading activity is taking away taking place away from the market that I'm listed, I probably can't see it. Like I probably haven't subscribed to the right service in order to be able to mm. see it. Well, it's human nature uh, and, and entirely reasonable to assume if you can't see it, it's, I don't like it. <laughs> and so, <laughs> sure. so we're working again with the regulators and with our colleagues at the other marketplaces to improve access and transparency of the data that individual investors and professional investors uh, can see with respect to all of the trading activity that takes place in Canada. Fantastic. Really positive also to hear that you're improving really the level of accountability when you think about it, um, which I think is which I think is just paramount. Um, any key observations you have about the Canadian investment landscape that our viewers should be aware of, Richard? Well, I think I've really spoken about the, uh, you know, my passion for the for the mining space mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, the opportunities, I believe, that there are for uh, investors to uh, to earn significant returns uh, from from investment in the space. And really, that is, uh, you know, again, it's been one of the key areas of our focus for the last couple of years. We continue to uh, work closely with the cannabis industry. And uh, again, we were the exchange that uh, agreed to list the U.S. players uh, back in 2016 and 2017 in particular. And again, similarly, uh, those companies have not seen a lot of uh, love from the marketplace for a while uh, right. because uh, investors have been disappointed by the progress or lack thereof uh, towards uh, legalization or rescheduling at the federal level in the United States. Even, of course, tax measures, which are extremely punitive for cannabis companies, seem to be getting held up um, as far as uh, looking at those, uh, those regulations. But that said, even with all of the hurdles, you have a number of companies that have done really well in terms of expanding their footprint, mm -hmm. building brands, growing sales. So we've got companies that are uh, selling uh, well over a billion dollars annually, uh, top line. Um, that are uh, basically staking out important pieces of real estate in this consumer packaged goods market. And again, I think there's some interesting opportunities for, for the investor world there too.
And I'm sure very appreciative of your support. Um, Richard, I just, I have a question. You know, many of our viewers, most of our viewers, millennials, Gen Z, you said you may uh, know some millennials yourself. Um, maybe you could just give them a little bit of advice or without giving insider trading information, but, you know, what would you say uh, to, to our viewing audience about, you know, the Canadian Securities Exchange, about investing in companies? I, I know you're saying that mining is, is you know, really hot, uh, very important for you. Uh, what's your last piece of advice for our viewers? Well, there's that beautiful line from Thomas Fisher that says, market timing doesn't matter, but time in the market does. And so one of the things that we know <laughs> is that the longer you are invested and in a position to take advantage of the compounding opportunities of, of, of capital growth, I mean, Warren Buffett, when he, as he said, when he discovered the benefits of compound invest, you know, compound interest, he said, I, I think it should be illegal. It's so powerful. It's uh, uh, so the point here is that if if you're younger, you have so much more time than many people who didn't begin investing until, say, they were in their 40s or early 50s and kind of looking at retirement going, oh, my God, I've got to get my act together here. <laughs> if you're in a position to put, put a few bucks away, it doesn't have to be a lot. But start and get in the market because we know that overall in Canada, the United States, the markets are going to compound annually at six to eight percent. Well, if you could do that math on an annual basis, you and you're starting in your 20s, you have an opportunity to build a significant portfolio before you're, you know, in your late 40s, early 50s, even. And so, as I say, I think that you know, rather than pointing to individual story or individual industry or whatever, because you know, I don't know. But what I do know is that if you are there and investing and uh, staying in the market and not losing your mind every time there's a, you know, a sudden sell-off or a sudden peak and all of this stuff, but stay in, that, uh, that has enormous power uh, in terms of wealth creation uh, for individual investors. Such sage advice. Richard Carlton, thank you so much. Chief Executive Officer of the Canadian Securities Exchange, joining us here on Stocks to Watch. What a treat it was to speak with you. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Thank you very much, Ashley. It was a pleasure. 